What do you imagine when you think of a food critic? Maybe some stuffy old white gentleman in a suit? Someone like the terrifyingly opinionated Anton Ego from the film Ratatouille? I haven't reviewed Gusteau's in years. No, sir. My last review condemned it to the tourist trade. Yes, sir. I said, Gusteau has finally found his rightful place in history right alongside another equally famous chef, Monsieur Boyardee. Lindsay Green is a food and restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press, and she is the first black person to do that job. She finds that a lot of people in the restaurant world don't expect to see her. Being this sort of person that is what I feel like is unmemorable or unrecognizable has followed me my entire career. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. Lindsay Green recently commemorated her first year at the Free Press by writing about her year in review. And the essay documenting the experiences of a four foot ten black Latin woman critic went viral. So I was profiled in Eater Detroit, and then Eater's national site picked it up and posted it on their Instagram. And from there, I've gotten even more people in the industry from even outside of Detroit reach out, which has actually been really cool. Lindsay Green came to Detroit after working in New York and Chicago. She had done a lot of freelance work as a beauty and lifestyle writer. So when I moved to Detroit, there was a position open at Our Detroit uh, for a managing editor. And so I started in that role and was kind of a a bit of a generalist. Um, And I found myself gravitating toward food stories. You know, I'd write one-off food stories whenever it came up. And yeah, that's sort of how I guess I dipped my toe into food. Um, And from there, I spent four years at Our. I eventually created a position uh, for a dining editor, which is a totally new position for them. They originally just had a restaurant critic. And so, yeah, I just ended up managing their entire food section. And so that gave me the opportunity to do the restaurant reviews and also, you know, talk to food business owners, talk to bakers, you know, manage their restaurant listings, which I think a lot of people depend on in the area. So yeah, just really got a full full scope of Detroit's dining scene at our. Um, and of course, I started that role right before COVID. So the role changed a little bit, you know, went from doing some restaurant reviews to pretty quickly changing and pivoting like everyone else did and um, talking to chefs about how they were navigating the pandemic and things like that. So here I am at the at the free press. <laughs> Kudos to the woman who steps into one of the most profoundly changed beats uh, yeah. in the in the industry during the pandemic. Um, yeah. Also, food writing itself is such it can be such a mix of beat reporting with critique. And, you know, that's a skill that a lot of writers never really have to have to nail down. What appealed mm-hmm. to you about it? I think, honestly, what I've learned over the past year is that I'm a writer. <laughs> you know, I think for some time I might have been trying to run away from that. Um, especially being in magazines, there's so much more than writing that you do. I think being at the free press, what I've really learned is that I am a writer at the end of the day. And it's about, you know, whether it's about describing the notes in a fragrance or um, skincare or describing, you know, the taste of a dish or the scent of a dish or, you know, the feeling in a room or the sound of a room. It's actually very similar. I think it really just is about storytelling. And what I found as I started storytelling in food is that 
I know food. I know food. I love food. I've always loved food. I've always been a food girl, you know? So I think it's even maybe come more organically for me because I've always loved food. There's nothing I, I won't eat. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I'm learning. <laughs> you should be careful how loud you say that, I think. I but uh, yeah, someone's going someone's gonna to want to test you. Um <laughs> We, you know, we haven't really talked about this so far, but you're also uh, the the only black woman doing this job in this town right now, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of us don't find our way into jobs if we don't know someone in the industry. Mm-hmm. And some of us don't project ourselves into a job if we don't know someone or know of someone like us doing the work. Mm-hmm. And you know, just to, not even limiting it to black women, there's a pretty huge deficit of people of color doing food writing at established outlets nationally. But I just wanted to ask how you how you came to see yourself in the job or if there were if there were professional barriers or barriers in your head. Yeah, um, I think I've been really fortunate, especially being at the free press that they obviously gave me the opportunity to take on this role, which is a huge role. Like you said, there are there are other black writers in town that do cover food, but I think I might be the only that's really doing the criticism, having that title of a restaurant critic. I think there's this instinct that when you have that title of restaurant critic, you need to now speak in a certain tone, which is um, which has been defined predominantly by white men. Right. And by um, this really sophisticated tone that I think people just, it gets stuffy is what I'm trying to say. A very formal kind of stuffy tone. And so what I've been grateful to the free press for is that they have not just said, you know, we're hiring a black restaurant critic. They've hired me and allowed me to navigate the scene through my perspective and share my experiences through my very unique perspective. It would be one thing to say that they hired, you know, their first Black critic, but then expected me to cover the same things that critics in the past have, which I think there might be other outlets that do that. Whereas for me, they've really allowed me to tell stories about what it's like to dine as a Black woman and tell that story really honestly. And I don't I don't have people, you know, before me who have done that, that I'm sort of emulating. I really am just honestly telling my personal experience and my personal observations. And my experience is that I am a black woman. I am a Latin woman. I am a woman. You know, you actually in in December, you wrote an essay about your first year in the role. And I wanted to ask you to read a bit for us from that essay. And it just to, just to set this up, you kind of start out talking about how you joked with your boss that you didn't think you were going to be one of those anonymous restaurant critics because you have you had platinum blonde hair and are really short and you just felt like you stuck out like a sore thumb. Would you read right. for us? Yeah, sure. So I say I've since learned that what was even more laughable, though, was the idea that my most recognizable features would make me memorable at all. Over the next year, as the free press's dining and restaurant critic, I discovered that despite my big hair and tellingly short stature, my brown skin color and oversized round glasses, my penchant for red lipstick and elaborate outfits, I'd find myself entirely incognito in the costume of my own skin. What may have been a welcome perk for the anonymous critics of yore has instead hinted at something deeper about how America, and especially its upscale dining spheres, views or overlooks Black women. 
Lindsay, that was just so, so poignant. Did you mean to say that the service industry, you know, can be unwelcoming for you as a black diner or just that that no one was able to really envision you as a critic? I think it's the latter. You know, I think it's the latter. But I also do think that it's a it's kind of a complicated question to answer because I don't know what it is. What I'm finding is that I can I can meet people multiple times. I can I can talk to them in depth, um, you know, in in the food scene here, but also beyond the food scene here and find myself having to sort of feel like I'm jumping up and down and saying, hey, wait, it's me. (laughs) It's me. You don't remember me. Um, So I think it is a little bit of, of the latter where it's like, oh, you know, she just looks like I could be anyone. You know, she just looks like anyone. Um, whereas maybe you have this idea of a restaurant critic in your mind and it, that person doesn't look like me. I mean, I think a lot about Ruth Reichel's experience as the restaurant critic at the New York Times for so long. And she talks a lot about how she, you know, had to dress in costume and all of these disguises. And she said in her book that um, her, her book was um, mentioned in my piece as well. Right. Um, but she talked about how um part of dressing up in costume was also to see how people treat different people depending on how they look. And so I can't say that I've been mistreated as a Black woman. I, I, I have not fully experienced that, but I definitely do feel that I've been overlooked. And it feels like maybe this is the first time that we've had someone like me in the position. And therefore, I'm the only one who can share this experience, you know? Yeah. It's been a few weeks since that piece published. Has anybody in the industry reached out to you since you wrote it? Oh, yeah. A ton of people have. What kinds of things are people saying? I've gotten some comments from people who have apologized, you know, who have reached out and said, wow, you've been in this position for over a year. I'm sorry I haven't reached out sooner. You know, I'm sorry that we hadn't connected sooner. Um, You know, I've gotten people who have even said, you know, you do look different every time I see you. You know, I, I, I can't even explain what it is, but I feel like you have, you look different. Sometimes I just don't recognize you. And we've sat down and tried to talk about, but why? I mean, every woman changes their hair, right? Every woman maybe pulls their hair back into a bun for a meeting and wears it out when they go out at night, you know, like that is the benefit of having longer hair, you know, or being able to wear lipstick or choosing to wear lipstick um, or wearing glasses or not wearing glasses. Um, And so I've had conversations with people of just trying to figure out what it is about me that, you know, is maybe hard to recognize. Um, And I've had some people who have reached out and just thanked me for my work, you know, just said, you know, maybe I didn't reach out sooner. Um, but I, but I do want you to know that you're making an impact on the food scene here. And I've really appreciated your stories. And, and that's also been really nice to hear. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to suggest that there's anything incumbent on you after making that observation. But do you think having sort of had the thought experiment of writing about, about uh, being sort of overlooked in this way, do, do you think that is shaping in any way the way you're tackling the job? So I guess what I will say is that I use it to my advantage. I think that I know, I know when I walk into a space that they're not going to know who I am. And so 
I think I use that to my advantage because I know that I can really have an authentic experience. And so in some ways, I actually really appreciate it. So in terms of the, you know, the work that I'm doing, especially when it comes to being a, a restaurant critic, that piece of my job, um, I kind of lean into it. You know, I think that it it's helpful to not walk into a room and know that I'm going to be pandered to if they know who I am. So I guess in that respect, I lean into it, but it definitely is a thought experiment for me. And I've had this conversation with people where I'm also just exploring, is it me? You know, and I think that's something that I tried to get across in the piece where these, all of these questions come to my mind where it's like, yeah, you're right. I changed my hair. Why would you recognize me? Yeah, you're right. Um, the last time you saw me, I was wearing my glasses. Why should you recognize me? Sometimes I question, you know, because I'm, I, in some ways, I don't want to be recognized, you know, because I don't want to be catered to. Am I hiding in, in some ways, you know, maybe not in physical ways of, you know, crouching in a corner or being a wallflower, but am I evading someone's eyes? You know, am I doing small things that's hiding myself so that I'm not recognized and in some ways you know is it a me thing I there are a lot of a lot of thoughts that go through my head um when I think about this we need to take a short break when we come back Lindsay talks some more about the year in Detroit's food scene Detroit's in a really cool space right now because I think they're starting to get the recognition that they deserve more in a minute. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from the University of Michigan's Go Blue Guarantee, committed to keeping a U of M undergraduate education within reach of all Michigan residents, regardless of socioeconomic status. Programs are available for all three campuses. More at goblueguarantee.umich.edu. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. When you were talking about the fact that a lot of women do change up their look day by day, um, mm-hmm. that's definitely me, too. And I remember talking to a guy I knew who had a coffee truck. You know, he was a barista and, and would drive around like a food truck only well, it's a coffee truck. And he, he I remember him telling me once that there are two kinds of people in the world. There's people who order the same thing every time he sees them. And then there are people who order something different every day. Um, mm-hmm. Not to change the subject, but I just wondered, as a food writer, what your take on that is. I think that's very true. I think that's really true. It's funny. So, I mean, I guess another analogy. My my husband always says you can tell a lot about a person by their basketball sneakers. Like, mm. you can just tell the kind of game they're going to play, the kind of person they are just by the sneakers they wear. And I think that's true. I mean, I'm definitely the person that orders something different everywhere I go for the most part. Um but but there is a kind of person that is, you know, the regular, the usual, right? Right. <laughs> I think I always wanted to be the person that could go somewhere and say, I'll have the usual, but I'm always, no matter how many times I've been to a place, I'm scouring the menu like it's a new book. <laughs> hey, can I ask if you've had some favorite meal moments 
in the past year? Oh, man, meal moments. Hmm. That's a good question. There's so many. Um, I really loved the name of the place is Guscatleca Inc. And they're in southwest Detroit. And it's a Salvadoran restaurant. And it's part restaurant, part market. So they have, um, you know, little groceries that people can come grab. But they have a lot of Central American ingredients in there as well and snacks and things like that. Um, but the food was really amazing. And I just, I really, that moment stands out to me just because um, I remember going a few times and I could see how um, how integral that space was to that community. You know, I was able to see kids come in in their school uniform after school and have like dinner with their parents. But I also could see people who went during the day to have a coffee or to pick up, you know, some medicine or to grab some little snacks from the grocery space. And I just, I thought that was so cool. And it's a space that's been around for over 15 years, but hadn't really been, you know, reported on. Um, so that's one that, that really stands out to me. Nice. You wrote recently about pop-ups in Detroit. And mm -hmm. I was, I was really glad that you did. Um, it's, Detroit does have a lot of them. They're, they are popular for people who don't fancy waiting weeks to get a reservation for a meal from a fantastic chef. They're also very popular for chefs and entrepreneurs who can't or don't want to pull together the capital that it takes to do a brick and mortar location and what, what most people think of as a restaurant. Obviously, that includes a lot of chefs who are people of color. Yeah. First of all, thanks for the recommendations. They're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and second of all, I'm curious about what you see happening as pop-ups become more of a thing, what it means for entrepreneurship and what it means for diners. You know, I'm actually curious to see what happens for pop-ups because I think that they've had a really great two years, but I also think that that's kind of, you know, been um, a byproduct of the pandemic. And so I'm curious to see whether we see pop-ups, whether we do start to see them increase. Um, because of their benefits, right? Not having the overhead, being able to still live lifestyles that they, you know, want to live and travel and not be bogged down by a by a brick and mortar space. Mm -hmm. um, or will they sort of evolve? You know, will they evolve into incubator spaces? Will they find new ways to, you know, merge the traditional concept of a brick and mortar and a pop-up in some other way? I think that's what I want to keep my eye on because I think there are a lot of people who do dream of having a space I think that that's hard to shake for some people some people are like oh wait a minute I don't need that or you know never had the dream of needing that but there are still some folks who I think want to have a space so it'll be interesting to see how that does evolve in the next couple of years what gets you excited about this this food moment in Detroit I think that Detroit's in a really cool space right now because I think they're starting to get the recognition that they deserve. Um, and I think that that has been a long time coming. Um, and so I'm interested, I mean, you know, seeing Warda, uh, Warda's Patisserie. Warda Bugataya of Warda's Patisserie, yeah. yeah. A James Beard winner last year. Yeah. Seeing her win that award was really, you know, history making. And I, I want to see that continue, you know, I don't want it to be a one-off. And so I think that as much as we can highlight these food businesses and chefs that have been 
doing this work for a really long time, start to get that recognition is really exciting to me. And so I think for me, the more that I can champion um, people like her and, and, and um, chefs that are here doing some really amazing things and getting national attention on that, I, I'm excited about that. And that's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Bear. You can find full Stateside episodes at michiganradio.org. Find us on TikTok at Michigan Radio for behind-the-scenes content. It's a fun feed. Today's podcast was produced by Ronia Kabansag. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our podcast producer is Rachel Ishikawa. Our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. Music for the pod is from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.